Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians discuss car topics from a perspective you won't find anywhere else. My name is Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. And my co-host is trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, who has not only operated on countless car crash victims, but has also published research on car safety. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. Uh, Stefan, we've got some some Jack Roush today, uh, not about the crash, but about uh, cool cars, and I'll, you know that'll be you um, setting that up. And uh, obviously, it's your conversation with the great Jack Roush. But we've got some news to talk about. I've got a car spotting thing that I uh, I definitely want to get off my chest. But you know, some news. Uh, you know, we talked a few weeks ago, Stefan, about the uh, BMW subscription trial where they're saying, okay. We're going to wire our cars for various features, including uh, heated steering wheels and heated seats, and then you can activate it or not, depending on if you're willing to pay by the month. Well, there is something similar. Can't you? You know, Stefan, we're going to get more of this. It's going to keep on happening. But GM just said uh, you need to pay fifteen hundred dollars when you buy a Buick or Cadillac. That is for three years of OnStar, so you get this OnStar safety slash communication uh, slash concierge benefit $500 a year for three years. It's not an option you have to pay. Stefan, give me a break. BMW with a subscription service caught so much grief in the press and there was such an uproar and, you know, here GM went ahead and apparently they rolled this out in about June, but it never, nobody really picked up on it. And it just now hit the news. It varies from $175 to $1,675 on like the Canyon, the Sierra, the Yukon, the XL. And really what, what people have gotten super irate about is you have the MSRP for the vehicle. Right. So that with that has the different option packages. Well, this is, they put this down as an option, additional pricing on the vehicle that it's supposedly an option, but you don't have a choice to get it or not. So people are like, you know, if they want to be, they should have just stuck it in the price of the vehicle and not even done this and just raise the price of the vehicle. But they have an MSRP. That's like going in there and all of a sudden they're charging you for ceramic coating and they're charging you for, you know, protection of the upholstery with some spray they put on and they put tire, you know, stuff to make your tires look shiny and charge you for that. And you don't have a choice. And this goes back to the old dealer ways. And these are things that drive people to not like to go into the dealership. And now you've got the manufacturer adding something onto the vehicle that you don't want. Oh, by the way, you do get a key fob access. So your key fob now works because you're having to pay for this. And it gives you vehicle diagnostics. Yeah, people want their car. Americans don't want their cars reporting back to GM what the car is doing. I mean, I already had the whole thing with event data recorders. People didn't like that. Privacy uh, invasion, Uh, Wi-Fi hotspot. Who cares about that? Everyone's got it on their phone. I mean, but and there was a story about a guy who was trading in as he decided to get rid of his F-150. He was looking at GM and he saw that on the price tag. And he walked over and bought a Toyota. He's like, no way in hell am I. I don't want this. It's an I option. It's, that's not an option. An option. That's not an option. Is not an option. Exactly. Well, yeah. What? What's, oh, let's, let's speak English here, people. Okay. Option. That means I don't have to have it. Hey, you know, but when I remember when I bought my Mustang, my bullet Mustang. Yeah. 
they told me that it had the installed um gps anti-theft tracking device i didn't want it well they said they couldn't take it off then they said they took it off and then but but, but they charged me for it and the vehicle never had it to begin with that's you and know that's, that's i had to dealer, fight for my money that's dealer shenanigans and we've addressed that and that's that's bad and i think you know any manufacturer would listen to your story or other stories we've talked about and that manufacturer would say that's wrong that's a bad dealer you're being upcharged you're being upsold that's not the way you're 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 supposed to treat customers and now they're doing it i mean bmw at least you have the option the heated seat is there if you don't want it turned on you don't have to pay this is gm saying it's an option that you have to pay for uh that's not an option exactly yeah it just i read this and i mean you know i i've owned one gm actually I have my very first car was a Chevy Vega that was given to me by a doctor friend, a 73 Pistola Vega station wagon. That was my first GM. And then the second GM I ever had was a, by the was way, a blazer. let's just make that clear. Somebody <laughs> gave it to you. To you you yes. don't want to go down in history as a person that paid money for <laughs> a Vega for a Chevy Vega. <laughs> and then when we moved out to uh knob Nostrum, Missouri to Whiteman air force base, I just want to trade it after the first winter snowstorm. I traded in my Acura Integra for a four wheel drive blazer and S10 blazer. And I got rid of that thing two years after, uh, after having it for two years, I just couldn't stand it. But yeah, I think this, this, this would definitely, yeah, I thought the GM Lyric, the, the new Lyric EV looks pretty cool off the button. No way in hell am I looking at a government motors product that they're charging me for an option that is un, that cannot be unoptioned. Yeah. The only thing I've heard of that's similar to this is, uh, I forgot the manufacturer. I believe it's Peugeot and this would be over in Europe. And this happened, uh, a year or two ago. I think it's still, it's still, it's still operative. I don't know the vehicle, but there is a Peugeot, uh, where, uh, when you go to the configurator and you choose the wheels, every single wheel package is optional. There is no wheel package you can get that is free. That's weird. That's um, weird. Yeah. So again, it's you know, you're saying MSRP, MSRP should include something that you have to pay for. And in the case of the Peugeot, it should include wheels. And if if the wheels are all extra, extra, then you need to find one pair, one set of wheels and include them. You should be able to to not have to option something that costs extra. It should not be uh, an option that's not an option isn't is is not optional is not yeah, an option. There are standard Ridiculous. features that are include. There are standard features that are included in the MSRP. Yeah, but, you know, I think this. You know, you know, Tesla and Amazon have changed consumers the way that we purchase, and this is another bad move on on uh, General Motors' part. And, it's very uh, irritating, and it, it's you know another example is if you stay in a hotel and. In New York City, for example, you've got to pay a New York City tax that is mandatory, and they don't include that in the price of the hotel, even though you got to pay it. It's a tax, so I guess you know it's like buying a, a something uh, at the store, and the sales tax is added on. It's mandatory, but that's an outside uh, charge by the government. This is General Motors saying uh, you have to have OnStar, and we're going to charge you five hundred dollars a year for it, and it's mandatory. Again, it's not an option. They shouldn't call it an option. It just irritates people and it's not good for their image. Maybe they'll back down. I guess we'll see. But uh, moving on, Stefan, um, now that we're By all the fired, way, just real quick, the yeah. subscription services and with the Android and the iPhone CarPlay, there you don't need them. We, my wife, uh, we got, I got our Hyundai Tucson a couple of years ago. And 
So let's just try out the, they have this blue program or something that's got all this. It's like OnStar. She never used it. I never used it. Instead of asking the phone to find direction, I mean, the car to find how you want to get somewhere or something, you know, we all use our iPhone because we know the interface or use your Android. You know the interface. You're going to go to that before you're going to navigate some voice, concierge voice thing by the manufacturers. I think it's, I think it's a complete waste and it's irritating. Right. It's $500. It's not well spent. Um, it's, it's just uh, an irritant and uh, I hope it goes away. I hope it dies. Certainly people are not happy about this stuff on. So anyway, car spotting, uh, I was, I was driving, uh, this would have been seven days ago. It was a, a, on a Monday morning and I saw this car come, coming up behind me and it had kind of vertical, or I'm sorry, horizontal daytime running lights and a very narrow front end. And it looked like a Honda Civic. And I thought, oh, it's a Honda Civic coming up behind me. And as it got closer, I saw this very large Mercedes uh, badge and, uh, and then it went by, it was the Mercedes EQS. And so that is the battery electric vehicle, all electric Mercedes S-Class equivalent. It's on a different platform from the S-Class, which is internal combustion engine. But Stefan, we all know when an S-Class comes up behind you, it doesn't matter what generation it is, it has presence and it it, it's, it kind of quietly speaks with authority. It, it and kind of elegance. Comes up, elegance and, and, and authority. Understated elegance. Yeah. And it and it absolutely has this presence that is impressive. And it, it in my experience, having driven S classes over the years, people just tend to move over. You know, they get the feeling that somebody important is coming through, and they move over more than if you're driving, you know, a Chevy or something like that. That's been my experience. Well, this EQS from the front, uh, if, if it comes up behind you, it looks smaller because it has a narrower front, for, presumably for aerodynamics, and then. It's got these, like just it, nothing about it looks impressive. It looks like a little Honda Civic and it doesn't have any of the presence. I am sure, Stefan, that they stuck that big, big emblem on the front to try to give it some presence. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve-O. And the, the front quarter view, it just, it's got this weird thing where the chrome strip around the front glass. So, you know, back in the old days, we used to have the little wing windows on the front that you could pop in and open. Um, pop open and close and it, this has that like little extra piece of glass up there but it drops below the hood line and it just i don't know this is like some cab ford chrysler throwback you know from the from the early late 90s but it yeah it doesn't it doesn't work for me and if you look at a lot of them they're doing them in two-tone paint some of them i think to try to maybe cover this up i don't know i yeah it, it's a design miscue for me yeah you know they they went so far to the, for the aerodynamic effect for you know for fuel efficiency obviously it's, the fuel is electricity but they went for fuel efficiency and and aerodynamics that they forgot about other aspects of it it reminds me of I'm glad you said 90s all those 90s jelly bean jelly bean shapes the, the classic of course is the mid 90s Ford Ford Taurus and it, it reminds me of that the Ford Taurus same thing both the Ford Taurus from the the late 90s uh, mid to late nineties and this new Mercedes EQS Stefan, in my opinion, they both look kind of insect like. Yeah, it doesn't do anything to me. You know, who is it? Is it Hyundai or Kia that's got the brand new electric vehicle that's got the lowest slipstream that's kind of got the weird rear end on it? Um, I can't remember what the with the EV six maybe coming out. But yeah, it's, it's one of the, it's a Hyundai product. I don't know if it's, it's a Hyundai product. Hyundai. I can't remember, but you know, 
they took the design edge and so it's a little bit avant-garde it's out there but it's like mercedes was still a bit conservative in trying to dress up this ev but in my mind it kind of botched you either go all out ev futuristic with some new design features but you know it's almost like you know old lexus sc 400 bubble design car it's all this smooth round stuff and yeah it doesn't work for me yeah it you know i think that for a full-size very expensive and you know you're talking a car that approaches two hundred thousand dollars uh, certainly 150 if you have a vehicle that costs that much money it has to have a presence to it uh we we talked a few weeks ago about the new range rover and the range rover is is certainly aerodynamic but it has a real presence they didn't forget right. that you need to have that that presence and and it, they, you know people buy this vehicle uh they don't want to they do not want it to look like a civic when they come up behind somebody in the fast lane of the autobahn or the interstate it it's it, it needs to have some presence and needs to needs to say and you're right Stevan, it has to have elegance but it also needs to have some level of uh authority yeah it's the hyundai ionic 6 i found it that compare that to the mercedes eqs and say what you know i'd take the hyundai any day over the mercedes now the interior is gorgeous on the eqs that they they nailed the interior on the vehicle but yeah design nope loser it's thumbs it's, down yeah. It's not enough to be effective at what it's doing, which is going through the air. It's not enough for that. And it's not enough to have a beautiful interior. You also have to have kind of a presence to it. Uh, it's part of the ownership experience. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. It does remind me a little bit uh, a very understated, undeniably high quality luxury sedan that came out about 20 years ago. And it completely flopped. And that was the Volkswagen Phaeton. Oh, yeah. And, and it didn't matter that it was a great vehicle. Uh, the Volkswagen badge hurt it. And also the fact that it just looked like uh, a generic large sedan. Uh, it didn't have any presence to it. And, and whatever presence it had was lost just by it being a Volkswagen. So Mercedes has the badge and they have the name, but they need to put some something in their design that makes it look uh like the person that's driving it is successful it, it's got to look quietly successful and this and the eqs does not nope i agree completely uh very quickly before we move on to to the mustang which i really want to talk about i thought didn't you see you told me about some other cool car that you saw um from our that passing you see the americure xr4ti yeah, uh, I was going to talk about that next time, but if you since, oh. <laughs> since you brought it up, uh, that was a vehicle that I guess so you tell, could say tell our listeners about the Mercur. The Mercur, yeah, it was an '80s attempt by Ford to bring over a European Ford, the Sierra. So it was exactly it was the Ford Sierra, but they, they did the couldn't same. use the name because of GM. Yeah, but uh, that's okay. Uh, they could have called it a Ford. Uh, XR4 TI. This was Lexus before Lexus. They wanted to have this European sales channel called Mercur, and they were they sold the XR4 TI, which is their it was a, a coupe slash hatchback, and then they came over with the Scorpio, which is a large uh, Opel sedan, uh, and and of course they ended up not being able to to sell either one. There was something about Mercur didn't sound right, but it they were trying to be Lexus before Lexus, and it didn't work. So I saw one on the road. They didn't sell well, so there's not many around. Uh, I was surprised to see one. 
Uh, it looked pretty avant-garde, Stefan, uh, the Ford Sierra did back in the 80s. Now it just looks weird. Yeah, back then it was, um, so listeners, it had kind of based off rally. It had a double rear spoiler on the back and the design was kind of round. It was an interesting car. That was Bob Lutz's baby when he was head of uh, Ford of Europe. But I, you know, at the time I thought they were, you wanted to think they were really cool, but they, you knew they just, they looked odd. Um, they weren't real powerful. They had a menacing name, but they were front wheel, the front engine rear wheel drive vehicles that they brought over. And I think they they sold ended up selling maybe like twenty thousand total. Didn't sell a whole lot. No, and if you if you imagine uh, somebody in in nineteen eighty six eighty seven walking into a Ford dealership, and there's the Mercure section of the of the showroom, and you can buy this car, which had I think a one point eight liter non turbo six cylinder. That's a four. It's a four cylinder. And you could buy that, and it might have been turbo. It might have been turbo, but whatever. Or you could buy a V8 Mustang, and the V8 Mustang was cheaper. I mean, come on. Yeah. So that they were just, it, it was it was doomed from the start. It was, you know, the only other car. I went, you know, I bet the only car that Ford ever brought over from Ford of Europe because they used to be two different kind of manufacturing lines and everything. The cars weren't that globalized but the, the capri you know sold well that they brought over from europe they did well with that but after that i don't know of anything they tr- brought over that that really did very well no they they famously tried in the 90s with the contour which was just a ford mondio and uh it was just too small for for the united states but yeah the capri in the 70s cool car and it actually sold pretty well so um Anyway, uh, let's move on. Actually, since we thought we're, we're talking about it, let's talk about the new Mustang. Stefan, 2024, there's a new Mustang coming. You must be excited about that. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, the new, uh, the S650. There's not, it's going to be unveiled in September at, uh, which auto show? It's going to be unveiled soon. Not a whole lot. There's not even a lot of spy pictures on it. It's been well covered up, well concealed. We things we i have read are that they're expecting about 500 horsepower still from out the of the v8, coyote yeah, from the five from the coyote v8 mm-hmm. and a few other tweaks and i'm sure it's not i think it's going to be an incremental change like the s550 it's not going to be a massive change but i think this is probably going to be the last big hurrah for the mustang with the internal combustion engine because they typically go about eight years on the cycle for the mustang so you think about it now 2000 23 mustang is going to take us eight years probably which will be the end of the internal combustion engine mustang yeah i think that's right the the automotive news says they expect that the design tweaks will be minimal uh, and subtle so uh yeah they'll have new headlights i'm sure or headlight housings the taillights will be different they'll tweak some things but really this is a facelift they're not expecting major changes Uh, i did read in automotive news that the 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 four-cylinder which will be turbocharged it's going to have north of 300, like 320 horsepower, which is astounding for a four-cylinder engine. And then you're right about the the normally aspirated V8, which is the five liter. They're going to they're going to get that up to around 500 horsepower, close to it. That's some serious power. That's that. I mean, I've got 480 in the bullet, but you know the 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 Mustang to get would actually be the four-cylinder. I mean, think of how much less that's going to weigh. You know, if they made a stripped out lightweight Mustang force, that would, how cool would that be? Kind of like, you know, Porsche has done with the lightweights, a lot other manufacturers, but do a stripped out Mustang 
as light as possible with that eco boost in there generating that much horsepower that car would be a blast to drive it would be great to drive it would handle uh i agree with you it would handle better than the v8 um it would be a, a wonderful car manual transmission will be available just like it's going to be available for the v8 so stefan i will do a quick thought experiment you are given this four-cylinder uh, mustang it's got a manual transmission it's stripped out it's everything you want you get out of your bullet mustang with a v8 won't you you're going to be bummed out because it's a sound yeah you know but they've <laughs> they've done pretty amazing yeah the sound is the snap crackles and the pops of the, of the naturally aspirated v8 there's nothing like it you know the minute you throw a turbo on it a supercharger it changes a supercharger still sounds good but you're right that that four cylinder but they've done a lot with tuning exhaust to make them sound a lot better than back in the day you're you're right it wouldn't sound the same but i think drive the driving experience would definitely make it a very fun car to have yeah you, you see a absolutely a uh, beautiful woman and she's wearing this beautiful dress and someone says that dress is perfect it fits her exactly right and it's better and then they go but uh this is her in a bikini which one's better <laughs> <laughs> give me the v8 yeah the v8 you're right i, I mean to me owning a mustang is a, a v8 you know the reason listeners well, a, a lot of in the global marketplace your insurance and your vehicle taxes value added taxes are also based on displacement they haven't done that to us so for us that's not and we've always paid cheaper for gas but in the other parts of the world yep they want those smaller motors for all those reasons but now if i'm getting a mustang i'm getting a v8 mustang. <laughs> I I just, I mean, you know yeah i'd like to drive the other one but it's not going to my garage i know it's really funny as soon as you said that you said that's the one to get and i thought yeah for somebody not else. me not me though that'd be like for somebody new to Somebody that has much gray hair that is doesn't really care about displacement and all that, you know. But no, it's it's a V eight. Yeah, the guys, our generation. The first one is what's under the hood, right? You know? Yeah, you yeah, go to a car show and some guy's got a nice looking older car that he's got the hood closed. It's because you, he, he he's too embarrassed to show you what the engine is because we all want to see a honking V eight. Our generation right. does. The bigger, the better bigger the better absolutely <laughs> and speaking bigger of better <laughs> yeah. i drove the biggest baddest mustang i think of all time um, when i was up with jack he pulled out his 69 boss 429 mustang and that to me is the biggest and the baddest of all the mustangs i'd take that 429 over a 427 any day that was the nascar motor that they put in those uh, mustangs didn't do well for the street because it was really a high revving engine for racing but we got to drive that bad boy and that's that's what a mustang is right there that's the epitome of the v8 mustang it did strike me um that uh you could just tell and and again you're gonna just set up that audio because i know you have that it's you and jack jack roush together but it did it did strike me that for jack uh this was a special car yes absolutely because you know his connection with nascar and jack um and one of the clips we'll play later on his roush mustangs it's all it's about the engine drivetrain interaction and jack was a drag racer that's how he got his start in racing was he, he was a drag racer himself so for him it's always making something go better and faster um so for him it's always the focus has been on the engine so when ford puts a nascar motor into the mustang of course that's going to be he had a couple other mustangs but that was 
that was the Mustang. And the purchase story is great too. Yeah, let's hear it. It's, it's a right. great story. So let's, without further ado. So the first clip is uh, the introduction of the Boss 429. This is Jack kind of just um, talking a little bit about the car. This is old technology. In order to uh, make the Boss 429 legal for NASCAR in 69, they had to build 500 streetcars of it. This is the 429th car they built. So that's him talking about the car. And then we get in the car, we go for a ride. And then uh, Jack tells a great story of how he actually purchased this vehicle. So here's Jack telling the story of how he got this 429. I had a, a race car shop just down the street from where he lived. And he came to the door and he says, I got a car I got to get rid of. Would you, would you like to look at my car? And I said, what do you got? He said, a 69 Boss 429 Mustang. I could be interested in that. So I had the interior all out of it. All right, Steve. So that was uh, us driving around in the Boss 429 and Jack telling a story. And he changed the rear end on the car so that you could actually make it drivable. And I don't know, listeners, if you when you heard, you could hear the the gears whining and the just the mechanical sounds of that versus a modern day car were just it were really something else to hear that to hear that motor interacting like that with the drivetrain. It was it was spectacular. It's very visceral, Stefan. It's loud. It's raw. It absolutely captures all of your senses. Uh, you can certainly imagine it being totally impossible to drive that car and send a text. Oh, <laughs> I, I drove it, and you're right. It was surprisingly, you know, I always we always always talk about that you're in love with these older cars, and then the minute you drive them, like this thing drives like a piece of crap. Which you know, this car actually really drove nice i mean this was the height of the mustang the 429 it had the better suspension it had the better brakes everything and 
it was very easy to drive and the way jack had geared it made it drivable you weren't throwing the rear end all over the place but the mechanical interaction with the vehicle just you know it it made getting into my mustang and getting into jack's uh sema mustang almost like a sterile thing i don't know how, how to best describe it you were just completely involved with the boss 429 I mean yeah everything it's, the vibration the sound the smell everything it's a distillation of the essence of driving a v8 muscle car yeah. it's absolutely authentic and you don't there's no there's no uh possibility of having a microphone that records the engine and it plays it through the stereo system all the, the stuff we do now that's all gone everything has been removed and all you have is a wonderful incredible essentially racing engine a, a transmission to match and then not much else yeah i think for you know if, if you listeners ride horses i think it'd be like the difference between galloping bareback versus a saddle riding a motorcycle without a helmet versus a helmet or kind of like you know being in a convertible but there was no cosseting of this vehicle by you but it was what an experience and that oh it was just fabulous to drive that car yeah it is interesting how he he purchased it too it was 1971 72 uh, right around then when the muscle cars were killed off and and everyone thinks it was because of the price of gas and it wasn't the price of gas didn't go up until 1974 it was insurance. insurance and what was happening was these young kids were coming back from vietnam or they're getting out of high school or whatever it was the baby boomers and they started snapping up these muscle cars starting with the gto which, which we've talked about on this show so these did not have any kind of safety add-ons they had lap belts and certainly no airbags or anything like that so they crashed them a lot they raced them and they crashed them so the insurance became very very expensive not a little expensive like it would it was you know a few thousand dollars a year which back in those days uh was probably 10 times what it had cost for let's say the 60s and it became impossible to buy one because you couldn't afford to insure it yeah I remember for you big 80s fans video killed the radio star you know insurance killed the muscle car it did so you you know the point you made was these cars were cheap and he bought his for eleven hundred dollars uh i bet you the guy was happy to get eleven hundred dollars you could find Superbirds. uh again this is the, the the peak mustang the 429 but plymouth Superbirds, hemi cudas you know big block chevelles you can find them for cheap in the 70s because uh, especially when gas got expensive these were not cars that you wanted to own because you really couldn't drive them right you couldn't insure them so yeah you had to park it so uh they became very desirable later but boy they were you know people wanted to get rid of them in the 70s and into the 80s and uh he was so smart he bought it because he loved it yep exactly and he, well, he knows the engine and he knew what he could do with it and he fixed the car just like everything you know ingenuity on demand roush engineering jack fixed that 429 by changing out the rear gear ratio and well that'll take us into the next clip about what makes a roush mustang where jack well we'll just i'll just roll the clip and where we talk about what it is that he does to a car that makes it the way he wants it so when you drive one of your mustangs that, that like this one what's the most important thing that you did the the sound the feel the suspension the whole package was there a particular thing that that for you is key to what makes it a Roush Mustang? Performance the engine and transmission. Okay. That back to your drag racing days? 
And for our readers to find, just yeah. uh, in case someone didn't hear exactly what he did to that, it's a new Mustang, and he 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 developed it for SEMA. What did he do to it? So this is a one-off Mustang, and it's called the P51B. So it's one of Roush Mustangs, and he does that would be build a new these. One, right, it would be a twenty twenty-two. Yep, it's a brand new, brand new Mustang, and he put a wide body kit on it. He made his own wide body kit, put show paint on it. A beautiful liquid silver. The hood is in in is in like a military green flat, and he's got little P fifty one emblems all over the Mustang. And of all the the Mustangs that he's done, I would say this was the most subtle of the ones. Um, the last, I think he did a seventeen SEMA Mustang that had the yellow and red checkerboard, lots of stripes. But this one is very understated. But in order, the motor, I'm pretty sure it's I think it's seven hundred and 50 or just over that horsepower but in order to get that kind of horsepower down onto the pavement the feel he wanted they had to go they had to upsize the tires to put they put big continentals on there it's three inches wider so to get that feel that he wanted he changed out the rear end on it as well you know the best way to describe the car is i would floor the car not as hard i wouldn't stomp the the pedal of the car but i would hit the pedal as hard as my bullet and this car would just launch i mean off the pavement but it would bite the pavement and just take off whereas the mustang if i do that i mean that rear end just comes loose but you know jack's got the springs and all this adjusted and he's changed out the gear ratio to make this car very drivable and he he thinks with the wide body kit it's going to slow him down aerodynamically he won't hit go over 220 miles an hour with this one but we're gonna this next clip i'm going to play then we'll talk about here's um jack winding out the uh, p51 mustang and he puts his own custom exhaust on there that is um electronic as well that you can adjust so here it is jack winding it out so that's the 10 speed automatic of course not stick but he said uh that he could put a stick ship but for sema they wanted to do the automatic well, it sounds amazing. Uh, it must have been amazing to experience. And you said you drove it, right? Yeah, we, we dro drove it a lot. We drove it. That was our driver driver that we had for all day. We kept it um, and drove it all over the place. Went and looked at the airplanes with it, draw, drove it all over town. Had, um, it was funny. Jack said, we got to go to my favorite car parts store. So when we picked it up, because it was in the showroom over at Roush Design Studio, and they rolled it out and he had, we had to get little blind spot mirrors that he tacked on to the side view mirrors. He, he likes those blind spot mirrors. All of his vehicles have it. So he's tacked those on there, drove it over all day. But, you know, he even thought when he designs a car, even for his front clip, the front clip is a little bit lower than stock, but not so much that you're not going to take it out. I mean, we had to go up over a little curb to get into the museum and we went out to the runway. You just go a little bit sideways. You don't tear the front clip off. So he thinks about all those things as an engineer that everything's got a purpose and it, it's, you know, it's going to be functional as well. It's useful. You can drive it, you can daily it. And uh, uh, it's hard to imagine uh, a wide body Mustang actually being daily driven, but uh, he thought of that. It, oh, this, you could eat. This is the, I, I tell you, honestly, this car I felt like was easier to drive getting on the power than my bullet. You know, maybe it's the automatic transmission bullet is different than the stick, you know, because invariably when I go from first to second and it's wound out, 
that's when my bullet breaks loose and it'll break loose even in third gear if i'm really on it but maybe the 10-speed automatic that may be what it is is the 10-speed automatic and a little different gear ratio handles that delivery of power in a more streamlined and keeps the car on the edge rather than you know hitting the gear and then you really change things up yeah that's got to be it it's it's i think that's what it is it's got a torque converter and it it doesn't just dump the clutch like like you might going first a second but who knows it's a lot of power it's a great vehicle he's really good at that he makes these you know he's been doing roush mustangs for decades and when they come out these are cars that people cherish and drive a lot of them every day so this is going to be one more yep exactly well, what an experience, Stefan. I mean, you not only did you revisit his crash and your care, uh, and that was certainly an interesting conversation, but uh, to go out and and the number 429, 429, it was 429 out of 500, uh, a 429 Ford Mustang from 1969, a homologation special, basically. And then his, his P51 Mustang Mustang amazing experience i i'm sure you're you can hear that engine when you go to sleep at night absolutely and the great thing of it you know these are not trailer queens these cars are driven the only car he had roped off was a new ford gt i don't think he drives that one much if he drives it at all but the rest of the cars you know he likes to drive them yeah he he had a lot to do with the engine development of the 2005 2006 ford gt how much did he have to do with the new one? I didn't read that he was as involved. I know he was involved, but what's the story there? He still builds all the engines. All the engines for the new Ford GT are built by Jack Roush. I, I don't know this. Are they still making those things? They are still making engines at the shop. Interesting. I guess you can still buy them. Obviously, <laughs> they're all spoken for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're all spoken for. So uh, really, really cool. Before we leave Jack Roush, uh, does he do anything is he interested? What What are his thoughts about the new Bronco? I actually, we didn't talk about the new Bronco. Well, you didn't see any. You, you think, we didn't see any. Yeah, yeah. It's um, not, it's, he's, he's probably not just not that interested. I don't know, but you know, if it's I, you know, Roush, they do a Roush truck. They do the F one, their own version of like a Raptor. Mm-hmm. You know, they, right. I've they seen do one. that, and I imagine, you know, once I imagine that they've toyed with doing something with the Bronco. I mean. I, I should next time I see I'll see Jack at Talladega and I plan on asking him a few more questions like you know what's he's proudest of and those kind of type questions a little bit lighter conversation and I'll ask him about the Bronco I think that's it that's the all of the audio clips we have for Jack I think and and if that well, is, I've got then, some more in a trade I got a, I still got I still got a bunch to go through we may find something worth talking about okay but for today, I think that's it. And, and yes. uh, you probably want to say a word before we say goodbye about the the Heritage Edition uh, Broncos. There's a couple of them. The it's it's basically a trim package, but it's it's very retro. Yeah. So they released the Heritage packages for the Broncos, and for all gray-haired guys like us, really, what it looks like to me is they did the colors right, the old colors, and they add some two tone to it. They changed the wheels to make them look old. And it, what it looks like to me is if it's Chip Foose did a resto Bronco mm. and Ford did a fabulous job. And I saw that red and white Bronco that they showed in all the, all the pictures on the web. And that is, it is the coolest Bronco ever. And I think 
people that aren't even old like us are going to like it because it it is retro cool. Yeah, it's retro cool. Uh, Jeep has been doing retro touches, you know, Willie's badging and things like that for a long time. Uh, I think it works. I think it's smart. I'm glad Ford is doing it. Uh, what I would tell Ford is, hey, it's fantastic. I love these new additions. Maybe focus on building the ones that people have ordered. There's, there, there's, <laughs> their production numbers and sale numbers are still uh, not, they should be what the Wrangler is, and they're not. They're not up there yet. So they are, they should, I mean, I, I love these additions. I agree with you, Stefan. They look cool, but they're still not able to produce the Broncos in numbers that they should be producing, and that's a shame. It's like a giant tease, I guess, you know, they keep, you know, people, people can't get the regular Bronco. Now I got the heritage. They can't get those, but you know, maybe Jeep knows, needs to go back to a screaming golden Eagle. Remember the golden Eagle? They put the big decal across the hood. I haven't seen Jeep do that. That would, I mean, <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Yeah. You mean like a, like the, the Trans Am must, the Trans Am Pontiac yeah. Firebird. Yeah. yeah the, there the were some weird Eagle. graphics. You, you had a, I think a 70 CJ five, but uh, that is 79 CJ7. They had yep. some weird graphics. Uh, the Levi interior. The Levi, yeah. I had the, Le Le the brown Levi interior, yep. <laughs> and a brown top. And yeah. I had white wheels. And those red, those red, those metallic red, um, deep metallic red with uh, white wheels and then the Levi interior. Yeah, it's, uh, Jeep has not brought back the Levi's interior. Uh, I thought it was hilarious when it came out and um it was cool very 70s I, it was cool in the 70s why not we yeah. all wore levi's <laughs> all right well listen that wraps it up go ahead and close it out stefan and uh we may have some some more jack roush uh next week but today's was very interesting and uh, honestly stefan personally i'll tell i'll say it was nice to hear the great man uh, and he certainly is great uh talking about engines and transmissions and his 429 uh, mustang as opposed to his uh his plane crash but boy, is it great that we got his thoughts about the plane crash. Yeah, closing it out, it was fabulous to get to not only hear Jack tell his story as he remembered it, then to have him read the story as it was made paper to pen by Connie Bolin. And then to finish up this week with the lighter stuff, because we had him some pretty heavy topics, you know, marking the ER and how people deal with difficult situations, coping mechanisms. So to finish on the lighter note, of the Mustang, which th th that's probably Jack's most cherished vehicle is the Mustang. That's he just loves that car. As obviously races at NASCAR, he's got them in his collection. He does the Roush Mustangs, and then to get to drive around with Jack, just hooning the SEMA Mustang, which is a, I mean, a fortune of a vehicle that they don't they don't want any scratches on thing. And then to take a Boss four twenty nine out and to wind it out. I mean, we weren't babying that thing by any stretch of the imagination. We were winding that thing out. So it was wonderful. So thanks, all you listeners, for staying tuned with us. Uh, remember to check out our website, carsoncallpodcast.com. Make sure to hit like, subscribe, and leave comments and all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next week, Steve-O.